everyone, and welcome to another Meet the Hashtag Poolings episode. My name is Daniel, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at T underscore twit. And you can follow this here podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Pod. How is everyone? It's been, again, way too long. Uh, the United States currently finds itself in the grip of impeachment hearings and breathless partisan bickering, but we are releasing a feel-good episode for you today, and it should bring a smile to your face unless you're one of those people. And now I'm going to vent really quickly. I met somebody this week who asked me about the podcast. I tried to explain. And once I was done explaining the basics, she had a really pressing question. What she wanted to know was the point of the Meet the Pooligans episodes in particular. The conversation went something like this. Why? Why would anyone care about meeting random Twitter people who just so happen to be fans of a satellite radio show? I mean, these are just everyday people, and they're not journalists or writers or politicians or Kardashians. They're not even Jenners. I mean, why? It is really what she sounded like. I'm not making this up. So after a moment of steely silence made only more awkward by my clearly fake and barely controlled smile... I explained that I've learned a lot from these quote-unquote regular people sharing their stories and their insights, their joys and disappointments, their recipes, their songs, their travel tips and their pets. We do talk a fair bit about politics, but ultimately, you guys are just really outstanding humans. You pooligans, you. And so I'm hopeful that as we're heading into season three, newer listeners of the podcast will feel inspired to venture back and meet some of these pooligans, whether we only met them one time and have to yet meet them again, or whether, like today, there are some frequent flyers involved. They're all worth your time, and they are the heart and the soul of this here podcast. And so today we are introducing you to a new gentleman. He is excellent. He's outstanding. He is fascinating. He's got a lot of stories, so get ready. And we'll meet two favorites yet again. I hope you really enjoy it. And without any further ado, let's get to the fast and furious bumper and meet somebody new. Here we are. Today's guest has all kinds of potential as a hashtag pooligan on paper. So we're going to figure this all out right now. He had an early interest in politics, a church choir connection, broadcast journalism and government experience. And he's also a former male model. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, please follow at Furious Brad on Twitter. He is to you, either Mr. Furious or Brad. He will accept both. Brad, welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. So this is our first Meet the Pooligans episode of season three. As everybody who's listened to this for a while knows, I have severe Twitter handle envy. So you are at Furious Brad, and we must immediately know the story behind it. Oh, yeah. So uh, usually if I'm picking an online handle, I try to pick Mr. Furious, but a lot of times that's taken. Um, so my default when it's taken is Furious Brad. The the Mr. Furious handle comes from a movie that came out about 20 years ago called Mystery Men. There's a character. Mm, right. Yeah. There's, there's a character in that film played by Ben, ben Stiller called mm-hmm. Mr. Furious and his quote unquote superpower is his, uh, his furious rage. But as you watch him throughout the movie, it's not really a superpower. It's almost the opposite of a superpower because it doesn't really accomplish anything until spoiler alert, uh, it does at the end of the movie. So, um, th- th- throughout my life, um, 
I've been known to have a little bit of a temper. I've, I'm, I've gotten much better about keeping that under, under control. But when I saw Mr. Furious raging with, without actually accomplishing anything, I looked at that and I thought that is exactly what I look like when, when I lose my temper. So uh, I, I sort of adopted that, that online persona not long after that. And it's, it's, it's been what I've used ever since. Actually, we're, right now, we're going to trace your fury all the way possibly back even to its roots. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, your formative years, and also maybe a little bit about when you started getting interested in politics. So I grew up in a small town in northeastern Pennsylvania in Luzerne County. The town is called Shikshini. It's a, an Indian name that, that supposedly means land of five mountains, though um, nobody's entirely sure if it really means that. But anyway, it's it's a it's a nice little town. It's a lot smaller than it was when I when I lived there. My interest in politics goes back really a long time. I, I remember in 1980, when I was eight years old, sitting at home with uh, my parents and, and two of my cousins watching the election results from the 1980 presidential election roll in. And I supported Ronald Reagan. Um, my cousin Eric supported Jimmy Carter. My cousin Ryan, who was younger than both of us, didn't really have an interest <laughs> in politics. So he picked John Anderson just because he was the only one that was left. But yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's interested me for, for a long time. When I was in high school, I remember writing a paper about Richard Nixon, just a, a general, hey, this is what Richard Nixon was all about. And it was, I don't want to say it was a love letter to Richard Nixon, but it was definitely in the vein of that sort of later life career rehabilitation that Nixon, Nixon seemed to, to, to undergo in the, the years, I guess, the, maybe the decade or 15 years prior to, to his death. So that's really interesting. So what did you end up studying in school? Was it inspired at all by your interest in politics? And how have your politics changed over the years? I'll answer the first one first. Um, mm -hmm. So I attended Syracuse University. I have a degree in broadcast journalism from the SI Newhouse School of Public Communication. It didn't have anything whatsoever to do with my interest in politics. I really wanted to be a sportscaster. That was that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to work for ESPN and maybe do play-by-play, -play, maybe a, be a sports center anchor, who knows, but that was what I, what I wanted to do. Um, when I was in school, though, I, I did develop a little bit of an interest in, in politics. Part of that was probably the political journalism class that I took my junior year, which uh, coincided with the 1992 presidential election, which frankly wasn't a particularly interesting presidential election, but there's always enough in any presidential election to to study, to, to, to peel apart. And uh, I, I think I, I saw that over the course of that uh, of that class. So that was, that was fun. Now, politically, <laughs> uh, so I, I mentioned that when I was eight, I supported Ronald Reagan in that 1980 presidential election. Um, my, my politics were definitely farther right of where they are now. And it's funny, my, my first tech job out of college, there was a gentleman named Ed Mangifico, who was the, the CEO of the company. And I was helping him with some computer related issue. I don't recall exactly what it was, but he knew that, that that's where my politics were. And he told me, he said, you know, as you get older, you're going to get more liberal. And of course, I thought he was full of it because that seemed crazy. You know, most of the older people that I knew were more conservative. And the idea that I, as I got older, would get more liberal just seemed completely insane. And well, darn it, Ed, uh, you were you were right. I, I, I'm definitely not, I wouldn't call myself a a liberal, maybe in the the in terms of U.S. politics, I'm, I'm certainly left of center in U.S. politics, but globally, I'm certainly. Yeah, I mean, my gosh, I'm I'm a center right kind of a guy. I'm 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 not a uh, 
I'm definitely not on the fringes. Um, but yeah, I've, I've definitely sort of lurched leftward a little bit and, and that was definitely accelerated in, um, 2016. Uh, but the seeds of that were sown before that I was a registered Republican from, from 1990 when I turned 18 until 2012 when, and really it was, it was kind of a long time coming. It, it wasn't something that abruptly happened, but the tipping point was the, uh, the candidate that I was sort of generally supporting in the, in the 2012 election cycle on the Republican side got absolutely no play. And I think that the reasons behind it were similar to the reasons why the, the, the party was kind of leaving me behind. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to register as an independent. I, I just couldn't see myself registering as a Democrat. Um, and we have in North Carolina open primaries. So that didn't impact my ability to, uh, to vote in primaries. So that was, you know, that, that made it a lot easier to, to remove my party affiliation and, and become a, a, a registered independent. But, you know, when I was an undergrad, for example, I mean, I was in college Republicans. I was, you know, I, I, I did the whole thing. I went to, um, support the, the troops rallies. I, I did see Bill Clinton speak when he came to Syracuse campaigning. I was, <laughs> this just, I just, I, I just remembered this. Um, so Jerry Brown came to campus and mm-hmm. at that point I was in, let me think I was a sophomore. So there was, a, there's a class called, I think it's RTN 260, which if you're a sophomore, you are part of the crew, like you run cameras or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And the mm-hmm. seniors are doing RTN 565, which is where they put together the newscast. They're the anchors. They're the reporters. They're the uh, direct, the, the TDs, the, you know, that, that sort of thing. So Jerry Brown was on campus and he came in and the producer for that newscast that, that they were doing, he talked to him and said, Hey, listen, we really like to interview you for this newscast. It'd be great for the students, et cetera, et cetera. So sure enough, he's like, yeah, I'd be happy to. He sits down, does a really good interview. It was awesome. Now, Jerry Brown had, and for all I know, maybe he still does have a campaign manager that was the scariest person that I have ever seen <laughs> in my life. He was this, he was right out of central casting. I mean, he was this tall shaved head, this, that, uh, that high cheekboned, if he, he should have been wearing a monocle, he, he looked right out of central casting for a terrifying bodyguard guy, but he was the campaign manager. Well, he just sat and he watched this and he, you know, it was great. He, he didn't have any feedback, but then he found out that it was for a class and not for campus television. I have not seen, well, I shouldn't say I haven't. I mean, I have seen since, but at that point in my life, I don't think I ever saw anyone dressed down that terrifyingly in my life. I was on the other side of the the, the newsroom. And I was scared to death for this guy. Like I didn't know if, if I didn't know what was going to happen. Fortunately, it was just a lot of yelling. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was scary. It was, it was honestly genuinely terrifying. Um, but it was a, you know, it was a good story. And I, I don't know where that guy is now. Um, if he's still around, I'm very sorry if I cast you in a, uh, in a negative light. <laughs> please don't dress me down, sir. It's, yeah. Please don't hurt me. And, 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 and governor Brown, I have, the utmost respect for you. Um, and I hope that that comes across and, and, uh, <laughs> just, 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 just please. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, just don't hurt my family. I'm going to have to do internet research to find out who that was actually. That- yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. Maybe it was, it was just the terror, but I, I never looked it up to see who, who that particular gentleman was. For fear of him, maybe just right. jumping straight out of the monitor and starting to strangle you. <laughs> did, what happened with the interview? Did it end up running for the class? Were you able to use it or did they pull it? 
Oh, no, no. It, 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 it was part of the newscast. It, it turned out great. Like I said, I mean, Governor Brown was a, he was a great interview. He was, you know, he approached it earnestly and, you know, he didn't blow it off or, you know, just give like terse answers. He, he really, he, he sat there and, and, and did the interview like it was for the local CBS affiliate. So, you know, props to him for, for doing that. Especially the Pooligans who are really into sports, of which I am unfortunately not one, what, would now immediately want to know what happened with your dreams of ESPN casting. Yeah, so, you know, it's one of those things that we, our journeys in life go in a lot of crazy different directions and, and how I ended up where I am and not on ESPN. I think there were a couple of, causal factors in the very beginning that probably made that not happen. The, the first one was when I sent out my first uh, wave of resume tapes, I didn't send them to the kinds of markets that I should have. I, I didn't send them to New York and Los Angeles or anything, but I think I sent them to markets that were maybe a little bit bigger than I should have. So I didn't get any bites there. And six months after I graduated from Syracuse, my student loan deferment was ending, so I had to take a job. So I took and let me just say, uh, when people talk about the worst job that they've ever had, uh, I usually win. Not always. <laughs> this I must hear. Oh yeah, immediately. Yeah, it was. It was. So I took a job. My friend had a job at a place that processed hospital laundry for uh, Ooh. for hospitals th throughout the uh, you know mostly Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. There was one in Connecticut. Um, he worked in the soiled linen department, which is where the, the dirty linen came back from the hospitals. It was dumped onto a conveyor belt and people in uh, practically in hazmat suits sorted that out, put it into bins so that it could be washed and processed and then sent out back out to the hospitals. Uh, that was the department that I worked in. Now, I realized that that sounds gross. It's, it's more, it's somehow more gross than it sounds. And, and I don't want to go, I mean, I can, if you want, but I, I generally don't go into the, the, the gross details of what made it disgusting, but. Soiled, soiled linens from a hospital. I think I have some, I have yeah, some ideas. Exactly. Any, anybody who's been in a hospital knows the sorts of things that would get on, uh, the, the various types of things that need to be washed. So I, I, I guess mm -hmm. I'll leave it at that. Of course, the, the, the really bad side, we would get instruments that, that came down sometimes where there were scalpels, uncapped syringes, uh, those kinds of things. And those were always scary. I, I, I fortunately never got cut or stuck. And I think it only happened a couple of times when I was there, but it's really a, a scary thing. And of course, they had protocols around it. You had to go get tested for hepatitis and HIV and all those kinds of things. But yeah, it was, oh, and also uh, it was super hot, uh, especially during the summer. So you're in your, your, your barrier gown with your gloves and a mask and a, a hairnet. And it is 4 billion degrees. It, and it was in a basement. So it was kind of like hell. For how long did you do this very impressively terrible job? <laughs> so I think I did that part of it for, let me think, I want to say maybe six to nine months. Um, I'm sure you can understand. I, I, mm. I, I kind of pushed that into the, the darkest recesses of my mind. But uh, one of the things that, that was helpful was they saw that I had a college degree and they eventually promoted me. Uh, they, they turned me into a special projects guy and um, eventually put me into management. The, the thing that I think pushed me over the edge was I did a statistical analysis of the uh, soil laundry processing rates between shifts because I, I had a, a feeling that first shift uh, was not processing things in a, in a manner that, that allowed second shift, which I was on to 
succeed. So I, I did that. I presented it to the management. I'm like, hey, this guy maybe shouldn't be sorting uh, laundry that's covered in body fluids and, and terrible stuff like that. So I, I did that. Um, I, the management part of it was not much better. Um, I mean, it was obviously the, the, you know, <laughs> it was obviously better, but it was a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, on second shift, I'd be there until two a.m. Usually, because I was in charge of, among other things, distribution. So obviously, that was the last thing that happened. You know, the stuff going on the mm-hmm. trucks and going out. So that was not a uh, that was not a sustainable thing. Um, so from there, I used uh, I guess I used my powers of uh, creatively describing things on my resume to parlay that into a, a tech support job, and that's how my career in IT started. Um, and it's, that's been great ever since. So that's a roundabout way of, of getting to, I guess, the overall point of why I'm not an ESPN or Fox sports sportscaster right now. I, mm-hmm. I, I figured out early on, not long, I think after I graduated, I'm sure that there was some of it sort of inside my head when I was in school that to, to be successful, you really have to love it because the money's terrible. Uh, the hours are, are long. You will get fired several times throughout your career. You will have to pick up and move a lot. Um, and, you know, you just, to, to, to deal with that grind, you really have to love it. It's, and I guess I figured out that I, I, I didn't love it. You know, there were aspects of it that I did love. And, and I've found ways here and there to still do those kinds of things. I, I mean, I like to talk. I, I think I have a nice voice. I, I've been able to do some voiceover stuff here, that, you know, that, that kind of thing. I I like to perform and I've found outlets for that doing music. So, you know, I guess I was able to do some of the, the the stuff that I like and and not had to deal with the, the stuff that, that, that would have been a slog. And so last black Friday, uh, we, we always go out on black Friday shopping, just, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to be around a bunch of people and that kind of crazy, uh, that kind of crazy environment. And, and when my wife was in the Disney store, one of the news crews was there and I always chat up the, the folks on news crews if they're not, if they're not busy and talking to the reporter, you know, I told her my sad story and, and she's, I said, you know, and I told her the part about, you know, I, I understand that you really have to love it. And I just kind of didn't. She's like, Oh, absolutely. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> you know? So, so, so I, I think that the people that are in the industry really, you know, they, they get it. And, but, but those are the true believers. And that's why journalism in this country is so strong because you have people that really do love it. And it doesn't matter that when you, when you start out and even sometimes when you're further along in your career, you're not making a lot of money and the pressure is, is extremely high. And the, you know, it's, it's not a lot of fun sometimes, you know, it's not all, um, it's not all sunshine and roses all the time. No. And I think any journalist currently listening would is probably nodding their head in agreement. Mm -hmm. Um, but speaking of speaking of you have to love it and worthwhile journalism, how did the POTUS press pool come into your life? Well, it, it was it was really lucky, actually. Um, so in order to pick up my daughter from school, she was in private school and uh, there was no bus service or anything like that. And she got out at 3 p.m. So I had always, you know, I mean, generally enjoyed listening to POTUS. I, I listened to a lot of different stuff on Sirius XM, but um, I discovered the press pool and, and Julie. Uh, while I was, you know, driving from work to pick her up and sitting in the car line waiting to get her, and uh, you know, the timing of it worked out perfectly for that. And you know, I I, I absolutely fell in, in love with listening to to Julie. I I just I, I can't say enough how much I I love listening to her. 
and the way that she interacts with people and just the way that she approaches things and the way that she talks about things. And Are you pretty much a, a daily listener or do you listen to any of the on-demand? How do you do your Julie listening? So I, I don't listen to the on-demand stuff that much. It's it's usually when, I, uh, when I'm in the car in that, that sort of 3 p.m. drive time, even though my daughter is in high school now and she's in public high school, uh, I still leave work at three o'clock so I can still listen to it at the, at the time that I normally did. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, but what is it, do you think that keeps bringing you back since, as you said, that Sirius XM sure has a lot of different stations and a lot of stuff going on that you could be listening to. What do you think brings you back to the POTUS press pool in particular? And, and, and really to expand on that, it's not just what Sirius XM has to offer. If, if you compare it to even a few years ago, just the, the sheer number of podcasts and the sheer number of, mm -hmm, uh, of music outlets and that kind of thing. Like I have Apple Music now and Apple Music is awfully tempting to listen to a lot. And uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I listen to How Did This Get Made? It's it's definitely my favorite podcast. I listen to WTF with Mark Marin, which is which is a fantastic podcast. And obviously, of course, I listen to the Pooligans podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but, you know, there are, there's a lot of competition for people's ears, but the press pool is one of those shows that I really enjoy coming back to. And, and it, it really does come down to, I guess it comes down to the way that, that Julie presents the news and the, you know, the, the goings on of, of, of the day in Washington in a way that. I guess accentuates its ridiculousness without making it feel ridiculous. Uh, because, mm -hmm. because, you know, I mean, what a time to be alive, right? It, it, to have somebody who can distill that down and approach it with the level of gravitas that she does, but still do it in a way that allows us and her to laugh and, you know, to create that, that camaraderie, that, that collegial feeling. I, I think that that's, that's really the thing that, that, that brings me back when, when you listen to the press pool, you feel like part of a family, you know, you feel like, like Julie's your friend and you feel like Olivier Knox is your friend and, uh, all the people that, that she reads, uh, tweets from, you know, these are all folks that we know. And, and she's, she's, she's really a master at that. Yeah, no, completely, completely agree. You mentioned earlier that you have a high school age daughter, but I think you do have more than one kid, correct? Yep, I do. I have a, a son and a daughter. My son is a junior in high school and my daughter is a freshman. Okay. So two, two high school kids, what do you do with all of the info that you get from listening to the POTUS press pool? Do you discuss it at all with your kids, with your significant other, with friends, or do you sort of keep that to yourself? So what I try to do is uh, when I discuss things like this with my family, I try to do it through the lens of humor. The stuff that's going on out there is extremely important and a lot of it is extremely scary and, and I think the way that that I personally process things is to try to to push it through that lens of humor so I can deal with it a little bit better otherwise it you know it's, it's with the kinds of things that are happening you know it's, it's easy to feel overwhelmed and and I don't want to feel overwhelmed uh, so mm -hmm. th that's the way that I that I try to approach it and the way that I try to discuss it um, I share stuff on, on social media I, I don't talk about about it at work uh, Working for the government, I, that's a minefield that I really don't want to step into. Um, but I, you know that that's that's kind of the the way that I approach it and the way that I that I deal with it. And and I recognize that it's a lot easier for me to do that to to look at things that definitely aren't a joke in a joking way because of the fact that I, I'm a straight white guy. Um, 
the, the things that are happening to people out there in a large part are not happening to me. And no matter what happens, I'm probably going to be okay. Uh, so I, I recognize the privilege inherent in my perspective. And I, I, I try to do justice to that in the way that I share things. And I, when I share things on Twitter or I share things on Facebook, I, I try to do it in a sober way most of the time. Um, but I will share things that are humorous in nature as well and, and, and kind of keep in that same vein. Uh, one of the things that, that I saw recently was on Saturday Night Live, the uh, weekend update where Michael Shea was talking about uh, comparing President Trump to Lenny from Of Mice and Men, which mm-hmm. I thought was hysterical. I, I have watched that that little clip probably 20 times and I laugh harder every single time. Uh, so things like that, you know, it, it helps you deal with a, uh, what, what really is an overwhelming situation. And, and I mean, a totally unprecedented situation. Agreed. You mentioned your sort of how you act on Twitter. Do you, when the press pool is on, do you try to use your Twitter to get Julie Mason attention and or reads and or mentions on the POTUS press pool? Is that something that you do and that you value? I've done it in a few times, but but like I said, most of the time I'm in the car, so I really can't. Uh, Good man. Yeah, that I, is the correct answer, sir. Good man. Yeah, I, but but I, I have in, in in situations where I've been I've been listening at home, you know, if I'm off that day or, or something like that, and I don't know that I've had Julie read anything that I've tweeted, but given the 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 low volume of stuff that I that I tweet to her, uh, I'm I'm not offended at all by that. <laughs> <laughs> Not setting yourself up for mention on the show success. Absolutely, I, uh, I, I. That's one thing about social media. I, I'm very. Um, I look at it as very egalitarian, and and if you're thirsty for that kind of stuff, it's it's not going to come because that's just sad. <laughs> Have you heard that other pooligans? It's just sad. So stop it. <laughs> it's not singling anybody out. I know. I know. No, there's there's definitely people people competing. Don't 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 worry. Uh, We'll, we'll talk to at least one of them later. Um, speaking of bubbles, uh, how do you feel about the POTUS press pool following on Twitter at large? Have you tried to connect with any other pooligans? Have you done that? Is that something that you that you pursue? I, I'm kind of weird in that way. I guess it's because, I mean, I've been on the internet in, in one form or another since I was a, a freshman at Syracuse, which was in 1990. So I guess the way that I look at social media and the way that I look at um, online connections maybe is a little bit, uh, I guess, a little bit different than the way that people look at them um, if they came up at a different point, like when the web already existed, that kind of thing. Now, that said, I do have a lot of very strong uh, online relationships with, with folks that I met through different uh, through different vectors, like uh, if you've heard of Snopes.com, I'm sure you have, mm-hmm. the, uh, the recently... Uh, the recently shut down message boards there. Uh, I, I made a lot of good friends there, and you know people oh, that I'm people that I'm still friends with, very good friends with now. Um, uh, and b- if you're talking about pre-web, I don't know if you've ever heard of an online multiplayer game called a MUD, but um, basically it's a text-based kind of thing where you can interact with people and you can adventure or whatever. Uh, and I'm still in contact with some with some really nice folks that that I that I met through there. So. Um, you know, I, I, my online relationships, uh, I definitely have a lot of a lot of strong ones with with a lot of folks, but I, I tend to try to keep things a little bit more, I don't want to say professional, but with like with Twitter, when I follow people, I don't look at when I follow, say, Seth Abramson, 
mm-hmm. I, I don't look at it as, hey, Seth Abramson and I are pals now, even though I'll, I'll reply to stuff he says and maybe he'll reply to something I say. I, I guess I look at it more as a, not celebrity, but a uh, provider and consumer sort of relationship. Uh, Facebook's a little bit different. Um, and if anybody here is on Facebook and wants to, to uh, follow somebody who's really awesome, uh, Roy Firestone, who is uh, famous for the ESPN interview series Up Close, uh, he is a really great guy to, to, uh, to follow and interact with on Facebook. Uh, really interesting guy, uh, has a lot to say, very smart, uh, very engaging, and, uh, you know, pretty cool. But, but I still look at it as a as that same kind of a same kind of a relationship. I, maybe I'm weird. I, I never really, uh, never really thought about it this deeply, but I guess maybe it's just the way that social media works versus the, the other vectors for uh, meeting people online has, uh, I guess, informed the way that I, that I go about that. Mm-hmm. I did in my, in my previous life as a, as a, a, a maker of, a maker of films, I did a documentary about about MMOs, which were kind of what grew out of mods. Hmm. I still have, I still keep in contact with people that I that I knew that were in my guild in EverQuest. Mm-hmm. We have now reached peak nerd status. But um, <laughs> well, actually, the, the the main one that I was involved with was a mud called uh, is actually a mush, which is a, a derivative mm-hmm. of a mud called Tiny Tim, which is still up. It's still up and running, uh, run by. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 some really awesome people, uh, John, Jason, um, who I'm still in contact with. And it was, I guess there were some role-playing elements inherent in it, but it was really more of a, of a social construct. Um, you know, there were some adventures that you could do, but it wasn't part and parcel with the experience. And people put on online versions of personas, and that was cool. But there were also people who were just themselves, and that was cool too. And and it it was kind of interesting to see people who were in character interacting with people who were just who they were outside of that environment. It's not actually that different from Twitter in that case. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. That's now now everybody's going to have to look up Tiny Tim. Yeah, and and they should. Uh, the the gentleman that created it, Jason Scott, is a, he's a good friend. He's a great guy. He works for the Internet Archive now and does a lot of really wonderful stuff wow. with, with with archiving the stuff that happens on the internet with with no with no prejudice or uh, or favor. It's it's great and it's it's a hard thing to do. He he has to fight uh, copyright kind of stuff and 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 that sort of thing. But but he's he's out there doing work, good work and he's a he's a great guy and he he. he uh, he's a filmmaker himself. He did a really awesome documentary, which I highly recommend people check out about BBSs. You know, obviously the mm-hmm. sort of the forerunner yeah. of, of 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 what we're all doing now. I I remember them mm-hmm. back when phones were not flat and had glass screens. Yeah, just like in uh, just like in war games. Exactly. Mm, BBSs. Oh, <laughs> it's nostalgic. Uh, sort of lost in this particular very interesting but still tangent was the fact that apparently. You have not made the approach toward the Pooligans crowd at large. Is that what I is that what I heard in that minorly uh, evasive answer? Yeah, that, that's. I think that's that's an that's an entirely accurate way to put it. And it's not <laughs> it's it's not because I don't uh, I don't enjoy what what the the folks in the Pooligans community do. Uh, I, I mean, really, I mean, just even even not following everybody on Twitter listening to the stuff that Julie reads out on air, you're like, man, these are cool people. You know what I mean? These, these are people mm-hmm. who, th- these are people who get it and they're funny and they bring up cogent points and 
you know, it's 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 really great. But I guess, you know, with with Tiny Tim or with the Snopes message board, I, I was able to uh, get in there and become a part of the community pretty easily uh, for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. I think the Pooligans community always felt a little bit more uh, opaque to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I guess I almost felt like any uh, desire to be one of the cool kids would have been, uh, it would have come off as, as thirsty. And, and that's, <laughs> and, and that's, and that's not my, wow. that, that, that's, that's not my thing. Uh, okay. So, so several things there. Sorry. Uh, number one, I don't know that anybody has ever said that the Pooligans are the cool kids. This would be news probably to, first of all, myself mostly, but also to the Pooligans community at large. I don't know whether we felt <laughs> in well, any way and, and, like the cool kids. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you one, I, I did the opposite um, this morning at, at Mass. Uh, like I, I mentioned, I, I play guitar most of the time, but I also sing. I've, I've been a singer for 25 years. Uh, but most of the time I play guitar. I, I write arrangements for the songs, whatever we're doing that week. And I, you know, I'm just over there in my little corner doing my thing. Uh, we did a song... Uh, today called Baba Yetu, which is a Swahili song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a really great song. It's Christopher Tin wrote it. It's from um, uh, Civilization, I think. It's from a game. But in any case, mm-hmm. I, I don't have anything written for a guitar for that. Uh, and it's a fun song to sing. So I went over into the choir area, and I, uh, when I walked by the piano player, I said, great. I said, I got to leave the cool kids table. I got to go stand over there with those dorks, you know, <laughs> joking around because I had been in the choir and not playing guitar for years before I before I decided to pick up the guitar and start doing that. So the uh, I, and I, and honestly, I mean, I, I love the folks that I that I sing and play with, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think that you could really, uh, I don't think you could you could accurately describe either section as the cool kids or the dorks. It's 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 more of a uh, neutral couple of couple of groups in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yes, our own church singer JC would take. Take umbrage at at that, sir. She would she would immediately identify both sections as the cool kids, and neither one is anything but. Uh, and that's why we love her. Exactly, and that's why we love her. Also, a small PSA: if anybody out there, for whatever reason, feels the way Brad feels that somehow the Pooligans are more of an opaque sort of clubby situation that you may not really feel comfortable approaching, please do me a favor and and approach immediately get rid of all of those any thought that you should have that this is some sort of exclusive club that you may not really be be accepted in or or not be uh, not be immediately welcomed please know that that's never going to be the case we have truly all kinds of people from all walks of life and also all over the country and uh, we we have a brit we're about to pick up our second brit which we're very excited about so please do not ever feel like this is some sort of exclusive club. And if it comes off that way, we all profoundly, I can speak for all of our, all of our previous pooligans, we profusely apologize. That's definitely not the point. Approach immediately and without any worry. Yeah. Well, that, that's, yes. And that's, that's one thing about, about me, though. Uh, I even use this in a job interview where I, I don't know if I'm the only person, but I, I think I'm one of the few people that was able to successfully use a Schindler's List reference in a job interview and <laughs> and actually get the job. So I'll I'll tell you what it was because part of the part of the uh, the job requirements were to um you had to be able to interact with other groups and you had to sort of get in there and you had to to, to do it in a way that where you were able to accomplish whatever it was you needed to accomplish for that particular project. So I said 
and it was the only way that I could that I could express the kind of the, the, the kind of guy I am in, in that regard. I said, so you know the opening scene of Schindler's List where he walks into that club and the maitre d' is like, who are you? Like, you're nobody. What's what's your deal? And by the end of the night, he's with those German officers, you know, singing songs and, you know, just having a grand old time like like he's known them forever. And somebody, one of the, an officer comes in late and says to the maitre d', who is that guy? And the maitre d looks at him like, that's Oscar Schindler. Like, how do you not know that? What's wrong with you? That's that's the kind of, uh, that, that's that's how social situations tend to end up with me. Like, w- within 15 minutes or, or or a half hour, depending on how hard, how, how rough the crowd is, it's it's like I've been there for, like I've, I've known them for 20 years. So you can see Brad compares himself favorably to people who made a, <laughs> a very positive because they had to impression on a room full of Nazi officers. Right. I think that <laughs> is the ultimate. What can I ask you? What kind of job you applied for with this particular theory? You know, I'm tr- actually off the top of my head, I don't even remember what job it was. Right? I remember I got the job, but you got the job. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so when I was when I was an undergrad, there was a, a, a campus and talk wa- show, and it wasn't the Daily Caller. It was not. No. <laughs> So, so there, there was a, a, a campus talk show that, that somebody asked me to be on, and the subject was political correctness. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things, and, and keep in mind, this was when I was still in my uh, proto Alex P. Keaton uh, Republican phase. Mm-hmm. I was I was brought on as a person who was really talking about the dangers of political correctness and, and, and those sorts of things. So, one of the things that I said was, "Hey, listen, you know, Hitler and Stalin were 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 people that really favored limiting what people could say and making it illegal to say certain things." So I saw out of the corner of my eye on the monitor, whoever was running the Chiron for it, put up a thing that said, Brad Williams says Hitler and Stalin were politically correct. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, exactly. So I, I was very uh, quick to say, and by the way, I would like to note <laughs> <laughs> that this is not related to political correctness. This is related to suppression. Exactly. It's censorship, censorship, not political correctness. So I, uh, you know, it was only campus TV, so there only would have been, what, 12,000 people that, that could have potentially thought that I was uh, comparing Hitler and Stalin to the politically, political <laughs> correctness movement. So I, it could have been worse, I guess. Whew. Although there are some people that might definitely agree with that particular assessment, but uh, we'll, get, right. we'll get to that in a little bit. Right. Even, um, then, even then, I wouldn't, wanna, I, I wouldn't have wanted yeah, to be associated with that. I completely agree. Um, do you happen to have any favorite uh, Julie guests or Julie moments that you would know off the top of your head? Well, you know, I always enjoy it when Olivier Knox is on. I, I, I really mm-hmm. like him. Um, I just and I like his show also. Um, but I think when they're on together, they're they're a great team. That you know, you can tell that they like each other. They play well off each other, and and I think that their their personalities are distinct enough. Where you know, Julie is is that she, she's a much more sort of out there, uh, just just ebullient, full of life person. And Olivier is a little bit quieter mm-hmm. in the way that he approaches things. And I, I mean, like I would 100% watch a sitcom that was based on those two, not even characters. I mean, literally Julie Mason and Olivier Knox in a sitcom. <laughs> I would watch that every week. I, I, I wouldn't even DVR it. I would watch it live. Okay. Uh, Olivier and uh, Julie, that's a serious offer from Brad. You have found your audience. Do it. I, I, I know people. I still know people in the industry. So, uh, yeah, let's talk. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> let's make that happen. I, I, I would, I would also subscribe to that channel. Yeah, I, I did write for a sitcom uh, when I was an undergrad. Um, 
uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, you're not a sports guy, I know you, you, you mentioned, but there's a gentleman by the name of Matthew Barry who is the, the lead fantasy sports guy on ESPN. Uh, he is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. Um, he uh, was a senior, I think, when I was a freshman, and we, we wrote for a sitcom called Uncle Bobo's World of Fun, which is a really funny, dark sitcom. It's great. Uh, but he's ridiculously funny. He was... Uh, a, a, uh, a screenwriter in Hollywood uh, for, for a little while. He was one of the writers, along with his writing partner, of Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And that experience was so bad that he left screenwriting <laughs> and went into fantasy sports. It was that bad. And, and he talks about that on How Did This Get Made, which, interestingly enough, or not, is how I found that podcast. Because I wanted to get a little bit of a deep dive on exactly what happened there and why it was so bad. And let me tell you, that episode of the podcast does not disappoint. Mm, I'm going to have to listen to that because I've had some of my own experiences in this Mm -hmm. particular here Los Angeles world, and it's uh, not not always fun, let's say. Yeah, and and I'll tell you, I I look at um, Paul Hogan in a totally different light after after hearing those stories. A a better light or a poorer light? Oh, much poorer. Yeah, there's a a reason why he's primarily known for that part. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's about more or less it. Yeah. I think that brings us to the end of our questionnaire, which means that we could now invite our our other two friendly co-conspirators. <laughs> so you you didn't ask me about about either of my uh, the two most interesting vocations that I've that I've that I've had at, at various points. Wait, which vocations are those? So you didn't. Well, the one you might not have known about because it's not in my bio. Uh, what is it? So I was a bouncer at a gentleman's club. You never. How am I supposed to ask you this? Brad? I know. Right? I, well, I just thought about that. It just it just hit me. I'm like, well, there's no way that he could have known about that. Or if he right. did, then you know, if he were in Pennsylvania, and, he d- he did not. He did that, not know about that because he was not told. Yeah, that's very true. I, I, it's one of those things I didn't think about. Mm. What's the other one? Oh, the other one was uh, was my my little uh, modeling uh, adventure. Oh, right. We have to talk about your modeling adventure. Yeah. Okay, let's do that right now it's, until the other two clowns okay. show up. When I was working for a dental supply company in Pennsylvania, uh, which is, a, by the way, a, you know, fantastic place to work. Uh, you want to talk family atmosphere? That is the place that like would be maybe the best exemplar I've ever seen of, of, of that kind of thing. Uh, but in any case, they needed somebody to do some hand modeling. And it was for a, to- it was for a tongue scraper. <laughs> so I so I I went down to the marketing department because they they had asked me to come down and, and do it because hey I had nice hands at the time I guess uh, so I did that uh, and they took the pictures and it was great but I said you know what would be better is if uh, I held it with my tongue out you know showing not not actually using it but holding it sort of near my tongue with a you know in in a uh, a uh, I don't even know how to put it. But anyway, demonstrating what the tongue scraper looks like and I guess what body part you're supposed to use it on, I, I, I guess. I don't know. I guess that was my thinking. But um, <laughs> I did that, and they loved it. So that's what ended up in the catalog. So I, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so so, I, so I, I am a catalog model, or a former catalog model. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's going to – well, I, so the, the kilt that I wore yesterday to a, uh, uh, an Outlander-themed function here in town – the the guy that that uh, I talked to that I bought the kilt from over in Wales said he wanted some pictures of it so he could put me on the website. So I guess I guess I'll again be a uh, a catalog model in a in a funny sort of way. 
I, I like that Bubbles came in right on wearing a kilt. Yes. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, Bubbles. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm Brad. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Are you eating something still, Bubbles? Is yeah, that, well, is that eating that I hear? Yes, cheese. It, of course it is. What else would it be? <laughs> what, what kind of cheese is it, sir? Uh, it's an Irish whiskey cheddar. A whiskey cheddar? Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. Damn, that's uh, that's that sounds innovative. It's How tasty. is it? It's really good, very smooth. And is there anything that's going with it? Is there a cracker or any? Uh, uh... Yeah, this just happens to be just a you know e old wheat thin, just wheat thin. A ye old wheat thin. Okay, yep. that's the the cracker of desperation. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'd go there, but um, <laughs> it's the cracker du jour. How about that? Well, I don't know if that's a cracker du jour bubble. The truth <laughs> is that you hadn't, that you didn't find a fancy cracker and then went with this. No, right, correct. Right, yeah. yeah. You didn't go into the store and go, what could I eat this with? You know what would be great? Uh, yeah. A wheat thin. A wheat thin, yeah. yeah. Yeah, or it could be a Triscuit. You know, I could really get Oof. off the beaten path. Okay. Triscuit is rough. Triscuit, that, that, that's where it gets rough. A, a, tris- a Triscuit is like eating a, a, a bowl of hay. It's, exactly. It's just, there's, it, there's just too much going on there. But it That's does have insulting only three the ingredients, though, which is kind of nice. Is one of them pain? Yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> no, you manufacture your own. You manufacture your own for that. Dry pain and please no are the three ingredients. I heard somebody mention that the, the fact that, that a Triscuit exists as well as a biscuit uh, implies the existence of a Uniscuit. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, yeah. Well, that would, yeah. I don't know that anyone's... You can't get anything out of Bubbles right now. He's clearly very much enjoying his cheese, and that is not the time to address him with anything that requires any formal thinking. I'm good. I will not be munching during our conversation. That would be just... Wouldn't be the first time. Well, true that. Hey, Obi. Hey, Daniel. Hello. How are you? Hi, Obi. I'm Brad. Nice to meet you. Hi, Brad. Nice to meet you, too. Oh, there's Obi. Hey, Obi. Hey, Bubbles. How are you, man? I've been good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Congratulations on your new grandpa-ness. Thank you. It's uh, it's sort of weird. I don't know. Uh, you know, we haven't met him yet. That'll happen uh, next weekend. So, but uh, we've been FaceTiming. Everything seems to be good. Good. Excellent. <laughs> he looked like a happy young man in his pictures. Yeah, I think so. Very good. Is he far away? Uh, Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. Right. So when I'm there, I'm going to try to. Uh, I'm going to try to reach out to uh, Brendan America, see if we can grab a drink. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. He's he's a very entertaining young man. Yes. Yeah, he lives, um, we've chatted before, he lives pretty close to where they live, so uh, mm. we'll do, I, I don't know if he'll be in town next weekend or not. See, Brad, see how this is? Yeah, I, I got to tell you, the, the first time you meet somebody that you've only interacted with online, and this is something I have a significant amount of experience with, it's terrifying and weird. But but in a good way. I, 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 don't, I, I don't I don't mean to imply it's a negative experience because it, it has been universally positive. But it is, it's one of those. It's it's almost like a worlds collide thing. Like you, intellectually, you know that this person is an actual human being and and not a bot. Especially you know when, when I was doing it, this is you know the the early '90s and you know up through maybe the the late '90s and and bots weren't necessarily as much of a thing. But it's still weird to, to hear somebody's voice and see them standing in front of you and, and, and that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's you know, one of those things. Well, especially Bubbles, who is currently the MVP of meeting all the Pooligans, has <laughs> yeah. now done this extensively, this particular uh, weirdness. Yeah, I met a new peripheral Pooligan last night, in fact. 
Yeah, Dortmund. he's now down. He, he now, in fact, has met so many pooligans that he's now down to peripheral pooligans. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how that experience is going for him. Daniel, are the uh, are the fires anywhere near you this time? No, they're they're further up north. And it seems like yesterday we could we could smell we could really smell the fires and also there was ash all over. Today seems like it's already gotten a little bit better. I, I picked up my both of my kids on Friday from school early because the ash there and the and the smell was so bad that, that the air started to get it started to become a serious issue. Hey, we have the best air anywhere ever of all time. Really? Yeah. So says the president. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I forgot. Y'all aren't just raking enough leaves out there. That's what's going on. That raking leaf comment, that was one of the funniest things that idiot has ever said. <laughs> I, I am back, by the way, in case I'm the idiot that you're talking about. No, no, sorry. I was talking about President Trump this time, unless you also advised that people in California would be better off with their fire safety to just rake more leaves. Yeah, I, I, I was uh, way ahead of the curve on that. I was doing that back in the uh, back in the early part of the, the decade. An early adopter. Yeah, absolutely. Just Just rake, guys. It's not that hard. <laughs> hashtag just rage uh, brad why, why don't you quickly introduce yourself a little bit to these two guys since they were not privy to the previous conversation and then i shall be right back and we'll begin this in earnest uh okay i'll i'll try to hit the highlights i guess uh my name is brad i am a uh longtime listener of both the potus channel and the press pool i don't necessarily listen as much as i would like to but uh you know life gets in the way sometimes i am a uh i work for the government I do IT, which is certainly not a very exciting thing to do for the government, but uh, let's see, what else? I have a degree in broadcast journalism from Syracuse University. What took you to North Carolina? Yeah, so, I, oh, that's that's actually, a, that's that's a perfect question because I can, I, I didn't mention where I grew up. So, you know, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, which has been held up on The Daily Show as the sort of the perfect exemplar of Trump country. Yes. That's where I grew up. Okay. So uh, I had wanted to get out of there for a long time, and when I was in when I was undergrad, an undergrad, one of my professors, uh, Professor Rick Wright, was from Durham, and he talked up the area so much. I, I looked into it and decided, you know what, that's where I want to move. So it took a little while, but I did in early 2000 move down here, and I have been here ever since. It's a it's a great place to live. I, I like it a lot. It's beautiful. It's warm, but beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's and, and but I mean, four years at Syracuse. I, I was I, I I'm 100% okay with with 90 to 100 degree temperatures after, uh, and and I mean, my junior year was is still the record holder for the most snow in a single winter. It was a 191.3 inches that winter. It was the the winter of 92, 93. Syracuse gets a little snow. They do just a little bit here and there. I mean, I'm I'm in Pittsburgh, so I'm on the other side of uh, Pennsylvania. Yep. And uh, but I'm I'm familiar I'm familiar with Luzerne County. I uh, uh, your definition of uh, Trump country is uh, is very true. Actually, uh, you know, all throughout uh, the middle of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. it, it looks very much like that. Yeah, and and that's you know the old the old joke about Pennsylvania being. Pittsburgh on one end, Philadelphia on the other end, and Alabama in between is is really is really true. I mean, I see. I always say I see more Confederate flags when I go back up to Pennsylvania to visit my in-laws than I do here in a state that was in the actual Confederacy. Actually, Mister Carvel, who said that, uh, we're going to see him speak in, in a couple of weeks. He's going to be in Pittsburgh for a really? night. Really, that's yeah. awesome. He, he yeah. where is he from? Alabama. 
I know he's from uh, the South, but bu- I, Bubbles, Bubbles. Do you know where he's from? Uh, yeah, I think he's from Arkansas. Oh, okay. okay, don't you have a don't you have a map? Yeah, I was going to say consult the map. It's got to be on there. <laughs> Fuck all of you. <laughs> but I think and he's with, from Arkansas. And with that, the podcast has actually begun. <laughs> there we go. Gentlemen, I'm glad that you all got to meet. So you've all met you've all met Brad. It turns out Bubbles Brad confessed that he too had been a registered Republican at some point for a rather extensive amount of time, in fact. And Bubbles also, I think, tended more in that direction until relatively recently. No. No, you were never a Republican? Uh maybe when I was in junior high. <laughs> but I remember I was a card carrying member of the Young Democratic Socialists of America when I was in grad school. Wow. You were? Yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. See see what I know about my best friends? <laughs> Nothing. You might have missed the mark on that one just a scotch, Daniel. Okay, well, luckily I can cut that out of the Pooligans podcast <laughs> and nobody will ever know. <laughs> Woohoo! Editing is awesome. So you guys may not notice about Brad until very recently was, <laughs> was a Republican uh, and has now changed his tune. And I don't mean to immediately start this off with politics, but uh, Brad, do you know what a what the fuck meter is? Uh, refresh my memory. That's a no. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a diplomatic so- no. Yeah, diplomatic. No, got it. We don't do diplomacy on this podcast. Okay, okay so <laughs> a, 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 the what the fuck meter works like this. We use it on our, on our weekend podcasts, and now we're just going to use it right now. The what the fuck meter is a scale by which we measure wh- how our pooligans feel at that particular moment in time. The pooligans podcast uh, what the fuck meter ranges from number one. You're currently sitting down, are eating some... Uh, grapes some cheese definitely not any triscuits or uh, but have a, a decent fucking cracker uniscuits all the way are, yeah yeah and are are sitting in your are sitting in your easy chair and enjoying the breeze to 10 somebody has recently dipped you in honey and you're now rolling around in a hill of fire ants where do you and we'll start with bubbles because he has experience with this he just had <laughs> he, but he just had cheese though so i think that might that might influence right now what he's about to say, but Bubbles, where do you find yourself on the what the fuck meter this week? Well, I usually, you know, kind of habitate the middle ranges. Um, mm-hmm. I got quite animated when we were putting kids in cages at the border, um, and and I haven't hit that level yet. Although this Curtis stuff is just terrible, it's heartbreaking. Um, so I'll give myself a seven this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that's higher than usual. Opie, my friend, how about you? Where's How is your what-the-fuck meter doing these days? You would think with everything that's going on, it would be higher than uh, than it is. But it's, you know, what used to infuriate me has just become the norm. And mm. it's not so much anymore what Trump does. It's how every other... Republican or people in government reacts to him, and that tends to bother me more than you know, you know than, than what he does. It's like what he's doing. I, I it nothing surprises me, and uh, I don't know where you would consider disappointment, but disappointment of everybody in Washington, I guess, is you know still probably you know a six, a six or seven. I'm always figuring it's it's going to get worse. He's going to do something else, uh, you know, next week, and it'll outrage me, you know, even more. Mm-hmm. So you're like on a, on a perpetual 
a perpetual scale upwards that you're that is now somehow expected and therefore the you know the climb is now relatively uh, relatively slow thank you you said that much better than i did no i i didn't actually i was really really grasping there but thank you i appreciate that um yeah but it, it's i i understand what you mean so now that brad has heard two examples of the what the fuck meter we're going to ask brad brad how about your if you would have to rate yourself on a scale from one to ten uh, how how are you feeling this week? You know, I, I think that since I was watching 538 on election night in 2016 and watching the numbers more steadily move toward Donald Trump being elected president, I think I've, I've been I've been flying at about probably a steady seven or an eight the whole time. Um, but and this may sound crazy to say, especially given the 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 horrible situation that's going on right now the, with with, uh, with the Kurds, I, I almost feel like, you know, we talk about that return to normalcy. I feel like that may, you know, there may be some lurching steps toward that a little bit in the reaction of some people in the GOP toward the uh, impeachment process. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the Slow Burn podcast, which was a limited run podcast, I think last year or two years ago, uh, from Slate. It was a deep dive on Watergate and a lot of topics that maybe don't get a lot of play when people talk about Watergate. Uh, one of the things that I was really interested in listening to that was that that tipping point. Because I don't know that the GOP with Nixon was necessarily in lockstep the same way that today's GOP is in lockstep with President Trump and just, just blindly defending everything he does, no matter how horrible it is. Uh, but there certainly was a lot more of an element of that during the Watergate stuff than I had an appreciation for. But now I'm starting to see, and I'm not talking about Lindsey Graham pretending to grow a spine <laughs> and, and talking about, you know, how, how uh, outraged he is at all these kinds of things, but you're, you're seeing it more on the, I guess, the grassroots level within the GOP, you know, a representative here or a senator there who is, you know, taking those first steps toward that moment of clarity that's necessary to move us toward that tipping point of even if it's not removing President Trump from office via impeachment, which I still think is incredibly unlikely, but maybe at least neutering him to the point that he won't be able to do as much damage in the time that he has left and also move things toward him losing in the election in 2020. So that's a roundabout way of saying I, I think I'd have to give it a seven right now, and it would be lower had he not taken the action that he did uh, in order to, to pump up the Trump Towers in Istanbul uh, right. to, so to, let, to sell let, the Kurds out. Let's let's talk about the first part of what you said really quickly, because I'm curious whether Bubbles and Obi are also sensing a tipping point anywhere near approaching. Uh, Obi, what do you think? Is there is there a tipping point coming? Is the GOP finally saying, you know what, maybe... Maybe this is not such a great idea after all. We've seen so many instances over the last three years where, oh, this was the tipping point. You know, you know with, with McCain, mm -hmm. with the um, Gold Star, you know, you know, families, with uh, Syria the first time, with uh, you know, with the, with the two girls, you know, and, uh, you know, Stormy Daniels, and mm -hmm. I can't even think of the uh, of the second woman now. And uh, he just continually skates around it. I mean, if if you would make me place a bet today, Giuliani's going to become the fall guy, and and, and Trump is going to just again slide slide right around this. It was all Rudy, yeah. You know, 
he, although he really doesn't know Rudy, he thinks he's might be in a pic, might have been in a picture with him, but uh, somebody else recommended him, <laughs> and, that's, and that's what he does. He hardly knows the guy, right? Bubble, Bubbles, what do you think? Do you think there's a tipping point anywhere in the year? Oh, um, <laughs> world weary sigh. Well, it's it's weird because they're they're like so many little substrata of Republicans, and each of the substrata that I can think of off the top of my head, no, there's going to be no diminution of support. For instance, I asked a buddy of mine, and Obi can nod his head. In the insurance industry, most of the folks are conservative, and so I asked this guy, who also happened to be a pastor in his prior life, how could you vote for somebody? as morally bankrupt as, as Trump. And we had a long discussion about it. And the end was, he's a single-issue voter on judges. So he's mm. not going to... He's already made his peace uh, with it and holds his nose on the other stuff. So he's not going to abandon Trump. And then the you know the low, the low education voters that I knew so well in West Virginia and in Southeast Georgia, you know, they just want to own the libs. So, I mean, facts don't even matter to them. So they just want Donald Trump to keep sticking it to, you know, liberals and things. So they're not going to abandon him. So I, I'm kind of confused about where this tipping point would come from, except that this Kurdish thing really seems mm-hmm. to. My brother also spent 25 years in the military and uh, fought alongside Kurds in Iraq. And he's just crestfallen with what's happened. And I know a lot of his buddies are. Uh, as well. And for him, that's the straw that he's not going to vote for Trump in 2020 if Trump runs. Um, he said he might vote for Joe if Joe's the Democratic nominee. Uh, otherwise, he'll find a, another candidate or he just won't vote for president. So that's a, that's actually an interesting story going forward in the sense that it does seem, for whatever reason, that the Ukraine stuff did not really get to the GOP as much. They're, they they immediately, you know, they they even though they sent their talking points mostly to Democrats, for some reason, <laughs> yeah. they they apparently felt that that was still somehow defensible and that was going to be somehow still all right. But there were a notable amount of of Republicans, particularly in the Senate, including the aforementioned Lindsey Graham, who really did not enjoy that Kurdish situation and might possibly even want to take action. There's talk about a, a bipartisan bill possibly in order to punish Turkey. Does anybody think that that, Brad, do you think that the 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 issue with the Kurds may be something that might actually, even though unexpected, might actually end up being a knife that twists harder for the Republicans then does the story with the Ukraine. Yeah, I think that that one of the things that we're looking at, and I think that Speaker Pelosi talked about this when talking about the impeachment inquiry centering on Ukraine, was it needs to be something that voters are going to understand, something that's easily digestible. And I think that that what's going on with the Kurds can be that thing. And I guess the the way that I'm looking at this potential tipping point, and and to be very clear, I definitely only look at it as a, as a potential tipping point rather than hey, this is what's going to finally bring this guy down like they brought Nixon down. Mm-hmm. Is is so with the response to the Kurdish stuff, and I think a lot of it, the next few weeks are going to be very telling in this regard with what happens. Does it just peter out like everything else just seems to peter out? Or is this going to continue to be a linchpin issue that the GOP figures out that, hey, you know what, we can stand up to Donald Trump on some of this stuff and not 
take the hit that we are expecting to from our base. So if they find that, maybe it'll help some of them grow spines. I, I, I really do believe, and I, I know that it's maybe hard to, to fathom this, but I think that there are some genuinely good people in the, in the Republican Party who really do abhor some of the things that Donald Trump has said, but they've made the political calculation that they can't stand up to him in the way that they would maybe like to. Or you know, there's a lot of them that I'm sure don't really want to stand up to him too. But maybe mm-hmm. this is the thing. And the other thing with the with the Ukraine stuff is it just feels like there is more and more coming out that, and I guess maybe it's it's informed by the stuff with uh, that I found out listening to Slow Burn as well as you know other research that I did on Watergate a long mm-hmm. time ago. That there may come that point where the evidence is just so overwhelming, and that they'll 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 finally be able to say, you know what, enough. We're going to let this process play out, and we're not going to carry water for him, at least to the same extent that they have in the past. And I, I hope I'm right about that. I don't. I honestly don't know if I am because I I have n- not recently f- uh, failed to be disappointed by the GOP in in that regard. And I'll tell you, I, I left the GOP. I, I changed my registration from, from Republican to independent in 2012. And now I'm looking at it like, wow, I was really ahead of the curve there because I, I would have been ashamed at, at the way that, that those folks are conducting themselves now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I already am, Maybe. I already am as an American, but you know, if, if I was still in that party. How many, how many independents are left or, or people that are undecided that are, that, that are yeah. out there that well, these it, people are messaging to? I think there are a lot more of them than we think because I think there are a lot of people mm-hmm. that would love some option other than Trump to vote for that isn't a proto-socialist. Bubbles sharply disagreeing with the, uh, the pollsters that have been on the POTUS press pool that keep saying that there are very, very few independents and also very, very few undecided voters. In fact, there are just a bunch of people who like to say that they're independent and then end up voting exactly along party lines. Well, I bet Brad has a has a pretty good perspective here. I suspect he knows quite a few uh, closet Republicans who uh, are wringing their hands about what to do in 2020 because they don't want to vote for Trump, but they don't want to vote for a proto-socialist either. Do, do you know such, Brad? Is that some, some, are those people that you know? Yeah, I, I, I think I, I, I know some folks in that, in that boat. And in 2016, the, um, I think that the, the distinction that was, that was out there was Hillary Clinton, who, who I voted for, very happily, mm-hmm. was was exactly the kind of candidate that, that that particular block of voters didn't want to vote for. There was the, the Clinton stigma, which I think personally is vastly overstated. There was the fact that she was a woman, which is obviously the worst possible reason to not vote for somebody. Uh, you know, she was a, you know, a, a, she wasn't the kind of person who was going to sway those particular uh, types of voters. I, I do think that, you know, my my... The way that I kind of looked at who the Democrats should nominate in 2020 has has vacillated back and forth between, hey, Joe Biden is the guy because he is the kind of guy that can put a state like Pennsylvania in play. And the kind of people that I grew up with who are who are Trump supporters might look at him and go, hey, listen, this guy's from Scranton and he, you know, he, he had that that hard scrabble background. He talks like us. He thinks like us. Hey, maybe we'll vote for him. But then I, I look on and obviously this is self-selecting and it's 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 not great methodology but i look at the kind of things that they post on facebook and 
they're not going to vote for Joe Biden. They will 100% not vote for Joe Biden. Uh, they will either vote for Trump or they will not vote for anybody. So the way that the, I guess the, the line of thinking that I've come around to is those are not the kind of people that are going to carry you over the finish line. The people that are going to carry you over the finish line are the same ones that carried Barack Obama over the finish line, which is you motivate the Democratic base in the same way that Trump's candidacy motivated a particular section of the Republican base. So I don't know. Uh, you know, I of all the people that are that are running on the Democratic side, and, and let me be clear here, it doesn't matter who they nominate. I will absolutely vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is. I don't care if it is Bernie Sanders or Dennis Rodman or Elizabeth <laughs> Warren or Hulk Hogan. I will vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is. But I guess the way that I've been looking at it, it just seems like motivating the base and getting them to want to get out and vote is going to be a more powerful tool than trying to sway centrists and people who voted for Donald Trump in the past. But I, but again, I, that's just that's just a feeling. It's not based on anything other than than uh, than my gut. And I guess interacting with with, with the, the kinds of folks that I that I grew up with who are still very strong Trump supporters. But I mean, I think that's essentially the argument, the overarching argument the entire Democratic Party is having right now. Do we put a candidate that, that, you know, excites our base or do we put a candidate that we think has really broad appeal? So do we mm -hmm. run a Elizabeth Warden or do we run a Joe Biden? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's and, and I'm glad that I don't have to make that decision. I, you know, I, I'm an independent. North Carolina has open primaries, so I can vote in whatever primary I want to. Uh, I've still never voted in a Democratic primary. There was no point in voting in the Democratic primary in 2016 because uh, Secretary Clinton was already going to be the nominee. So I voted for John Kasich in the um, Republican primary. Uh, depending on how things look, I may vote in the Democratic primary this year for, for president, just to, you know, just to, to try to have my voice heard as, as one of those independents who, uh, who who they potentially want to sway. But I guess what I really don't want to see is a candidate, and I don't know who, you know, I don't know what candidate might fit this bill. I don't want a candidate that is going to make people want to vote for a third party candidate and throw their vote away or to just stay home because, you know what, I hate all these people. I'm just going to stay home. Uh, and, and I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what candidate is going to help the Democrats avoid that. Uh, so, you know, best of luck it's to, an to the Democratic Party. It's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting question, I think, in the sense that we, we don't know. The, the Democrats are going to have to decide whether they really believe that there are so many Brads, and, 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 and especially female Brads also, around the country that they can replicate the midterm situation in which, in which everybody was so motivated to come out that they did and they turned out in huge record-breaking droves and they, they voted what ended up being really a, a democratic wave into the House. Now, if they can, if the, the question for the Democrats is going to be, does it really need to be the candidate in order for, to make that happen and in order to replicate that success? Or do many people feel like Brad, which is I would literally vote for a ham for sandwich, a, for, yeah, for a ham sandwich and even for a mm -hmm. rotten ham sandwich, whatever it is, doesn't even have to be, can just be a, a tiny morsel of bread with some ham two feet away. I would vote for a Triscuit. And see, that's how that's how serious Brad is. At this point, he would even vote for a Triscuit. Damn. <laughs> Damn, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, is that really sustainable as a strategy? Well, I, I saw on Twitter somebody shared a, uh, an analogy which I thought was really apt, which is that the GOP will rally behind their quarterback no matter what, no matter who that person is and no matter what that person does, while the Democrats mm-hmm. will fall all over themselves to find a reason not to vote for their candidate. And that that seems to, just based on the, uh, and again, this is self-selecting sample because it's, it's my friends, um, but... You know, you see some of that hand wringing, like, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, Hillary Clinton isn't exciting, and I'm going to vote for Jill Stein, and that, you know, that that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Whereas on the GOP side, it's like Donald Trump, absolutely. Uh, de- Democrats are legendary for their uh, for their purity tests. Yeah, 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 and and they're and they're deeply they're deeply self defeating behavior. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, <laughs> Obi, how do you feel in in recent in recent week or months? I had this conversation with Liz Goodwin uh, when we did her podcast. The, the Democrats that was an really awesome podcast. Uh, thank you, Bubbles. Yes, awesome. Um, the oh. Democrats really had these. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm basking in this golf clap right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. He's a Leo, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, no, but it's all about Liz. It has nothing to do with me. But uh, Liz and I talked about, or what have the Democrats done with their with their beautiful dreams of oversight? Do you feel that the Democrats have stepped up? I think the Democrats are not very good at messaging. Mm-hmm. Well, things that they are talking about until the Ukraine issue has been fairly complicated stuff. Uh, one, a large portion of the country doesn't have any interest, doesn't care about it, or any knowledge or understanding about it. And... And two, um, they view it as a continuation of Mueller and that their Democrats couldn't get him on that stuff. So now they're trying to get him on uh, on this stuff. And then the Ukraine thing happened. Uh, I think that might just be a great opportunity for the Democrats. It's very, very simple message. Here's a man who asked the foreign government to help them get information on a political rival, and that is illegal. Simple message that doesn't involve anything that um, Schiff, that Nadler is looking at or that um, you know, Schiff is looking at or, or, or Elijah Cummings. It's just a very simple message, and that I think people could understand. Uh, the other stuff, I, I think they have not not done a, a great job in convincing anybody who's not already in their base or in the Democratic leaning field that uh, you know, that, that he's an evil guy. Well, and you know, I, I think that, that talking about how bad the Democrats are at messaging is really, I think it's kind of an underrated point because mm-hmm. so many times, and, and I, we've even seen it with the Ukraine thing, that they that Trump goes with that that Nixonian. Well, if the president does it, it's not illegal. You know that that sort of thing. And so on one side, you have the Democrats saying, "Well, okay, this is illegal. This is something you cannot do. It is an impeachable offense, and we are going to go down this road." And Trump's like, "No, it isn't." You know, and and somehow for the most part that's really worked well for him so exactly and it's and it's crazy it's 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 fascinating to watch it's it's amazing i mean i, I can't even think of a better word than that it's it's he's such a good con man he, he's really good at it you know yet in, in a sick sort of sort of a way you almost have to admire that part of it i guess when he's a, a tv host or a shady atlantic city real estate person 
it's easier to look at that and go, wow, that's really impressive. And then when he's the president of the United States, obviously it's, uh, it's, it's another matter. But the, the problem with the Democrats, and I have said this consistently from when I was a Republican to now when I'm an independent who leans left, for a party that is so interested in gun control, man, do the Democrats love shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, True. it's it's like it's it's and it's maddening because it and it's one of those things where, you know, it's Monday, it's Monday morning quarterbacking. Sure. But I think most of us aren't sitting there going, well, I could have done that better because I certainly know that I wouldn't be able to, to handle any of this better than than any of the, the the players on the Democratic side have. But you just you're like, you need to be able to handle it better. I mean, Nancy Pelosi has been in Congress forever and she has a very well earned reputation as being really great at this stuff. You know, but she even she hasn't been able to get the kind of traction that you would expect that she should be able to. And it's uh, uh, it's just one of those things. I just I, that, that that heavy sigh. I, I just I find myself Brad, doing that a lot more. Brad. Yes, sir. Does it make you furious? You know, it. I think it kind of does rage building. <laughs> Not that I, not that I want to provoke you. We don't need to, like I don't want to bring on your Bruce Banner moment. But I think it's important to note that Brad, for the first time, was audibly flirting with the idea of being furious about. Yeah, something. I, th I think I was more exasperated than anything else. I mean, literally with mm. those sighs, I was literally exasperated. But uh, yeah, that mm -hmm. hey, that could be the first step toward fury. Well, Brad, if you, if you're going to come to the dark side here on the left, you're going to have to learn that life is disappointment. <laughs> well. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's great. That that's definitely enticing. <laughs> hey, we drink a lot, so it's all good. Well, that's a problem. I don't, I I don't drink, so I I definitely won't fit in. You know, we actually we failed to discuss one of Brad's previous vocations, by the way, which I think we should probably weave in right now in order to lighten the mood. Oh boy, uh, Brad, uh, tell us for a second where you used to work. What kind of establishment was it? And then tell us any good stories that you have about your time as a bouncer. Oh, uh, sure. So um, one of my friends was uh, dating a girl who worked at a gentleman's club. Uh, she and I are still very good friends. She's, she's, she's a, a really great girl, smart, uh, awesome person. Uh, so they needed some help working the door and providing security for the... Um, for the girls at, at, at that establishment. So I, I did it just as a side thing to, to kind of help out. And the girls liked me. Uh, I, was, I was good at it. Uh, people, I guess, in those situations, I guess I had a skill, and I, I probably still have it, to de-escalate situations where you have somebody who's intoxicated and aggressive and upset about something, and you need to diffuse the situation or handle it via other means. And when you're a bouncer, if you have to handle it via other means, if you have to get physical, then at least from my perspective, you've, you've already lost. You, you never want to get to that point. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but you still don't want to get into that situation. So, you know, I, I worked the door. I worked general security at, 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 that, uh, at that establishment. Um, when, when girls would do uh, private dances, I was uh, in the room for a lot of those to provide security to make sure that, that nothing happened, uh, that, that the, uh, the patron didn't uh, behave inappropriately. Uh, I also worked bachelor parties. Uh, that was one thing. It was it was it was really nice that that a lot of the girls specifically requested me. They they wanted me to work their bachelor parties because they felt safe. Uh, that was nice. Um, 
So that was, you know, it was something I did. Uh, so I guess the only, there aren't a lot of great stories about it. You know, most of it is just, uh, you know, the, the DJ would always talk about the touch and go rule, which is if you touch any of the girls, you have to go, which I thought was a cute way of, uh, cute way of putting that. But I guess one thing that happened that, uh, that was kind of interesting. There was a, a gentleman who was highly intoxicated. I mean, falling down drunk, literally, and he, he needed to go. So we called him a taxi because obviously we weren't going to let him drive. And while, when the taxi got there, they were uh, shuffling him out and money was falling out of his pockets. Like hundred dollar bills were falling out of his pockets as he's walking along and I'm walking mm. behind him and I'm, I'm walking behind him and I'm picking these hundred dollar bills up and I'm shoving them back in his pocket. Like, and they just kept, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what kind of pants this guy had on, but it was just raining hundred dollar bills out of his pockets. And I'm walking behind him and I'm just dutifully shoving these things back in and the, the, <laughs> some of the girls are like, what are you doing? What's, what's wrong with you? Why, why aren't you pocketing? Cause I'm like, come on, I don't need the money that bad. That's, that's not cool. But you know, it's, it, you know, you talk about, places that have an interesting cast of characters that that kind of environment definitely has some uh, uh interesting interesting cast of characters oh and i just thought of this so the the gentleman that, that owned the place uh, a guy named jules greenberg cool guy uh he's in his 90s now he's still around uh i started a a, a different it job after i had uh stopped working bachelor parties there was an incident at one of them that sort of scarred me for life and i was like i can't do this anymore uh, I, so I started this, um, this, this IT job and the owner of the company at this place walked over to me and said, Hey, you're Brad, right? I said, yeah, I am. He, he said, Hey, I was talking to somebody about you and they said, I hired a good man. I said, Oh really? Who, who are you talking to? Oh, Jules Greenberg. So uh, they, <laughs> they, they were very good friends. They grew up together. So I thought that was, that was pretty cool. So, uh, so yeah, he, he had your back. He did. And, and yeah. <laughs> so, of course, that is the closest that Obi Bubbles and I will ever come to uh, visiting or hearing about a gentleman's club. So that was excellent. Yeah, I, uh, um, yeah, I have, I have never, uh, you know, I've only ever been inside one in a professional capacity. Um, mm-hmm. And other than, and most of that time, really, you stood outside. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, 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 I don't even know what the inside of the place looked like, actually. Mm-hmm. Daniel, you you must have ventured uh, across across water to Amsterdam once or twice uh, in your youth. I don't understand what you mean, Obi. Please explain. <laughs> <laughs> the Anne Frank House, the Rembrandt, was beautiful uh, was, tulips. Yes, saw Anne Frank House. Van Gogh. Saw yeah. Van Gogh, right? Van yeah. Gogh. Yeah, it was it was wonderful. I really really enjoyed it. Beautiful paintings. Uh, really beautiful krachts uh, are beautiful. Uh, everybody should enjoy the waterways of Amsterdam. And uh, yeah, so all all good. So green light on that. Definitely not a red light going to Amsterdam. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I have actually had a professional experience with um, with a, with a chain of strip clubs. Actually, um, one of my uh, associates. Um, landed this as an account landed the chain of these as an account and his immediate manager was super religious and he said i need to talk to you and i said okay so we met and he starts stammering and and telling me that that this account that this guy got and that he was too new so he couldn't do it himself and he needed help and my poor old manager i mean literally at this point is sweating dancing around that he's never going to go into a strip club i mean that would way to offend his sensibilities but we needed somebody to go in to help this kid out. So 
uh, I helped him out uh, enroll the employees uh, in benefits. And, of course, it was like at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and everybody's in sweats. But, I mean, the people that work there, um, like what you saw with Brad, I mean, could not have been nicer. Um, and we did really, really well. So it was a good account. Are they are they not in are the dancers not independent contractors and not employees? We can do independent contractors. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-mm-mm. The joys yep. of the insurance industry. <laughs> Yeah, don't get Obi and I going, or you're going to lose control of this thing in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, we don't, we don't want to talk about universal health care. <laughs> who, who knew that the insurance industry was, was such, a, uh, such a wild topic? Oh, yeah, and heavily represented in the, yeah. in, the pooligans, uh, in the pooligans pool, it turns out. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, gentlemen, now that we've talked about all this, I wanted to quickly check in with Obi about how he's feeling, unless... He really does not want to talk about it, which I also would completely understand. And then we don't. Uh, no, um, you know, the, uh, this the, that's fine. It's uh, it's sort of delayed. Uh, I went and had another scan recently, and uh, the chemo that I am currently on is in its second and or third life, and it's still doing. Uh, good things. Uh, the tumor is shrinking. Uh, so they said, well, come back at Christmas time and we will talk about it uh, at that point. So we're sort of on hold for another 60 to 90 days and, and we'll figure it out then. Mm-hmm. So that that's the best I got. It, it's all good news. It's all good news. That is, that is, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's that is awesome to hear. To hear. And Obi's a new grandpa. And Obi's a new grandpa. Obi, tell us about, uh, we, ha- we heard earlier that you haven't met the young man yet. But tell us quickly about your new addition. Uh, so this happened um, after 22 hours of labor. Wow. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, it, it was hard being it, it was hard being so far away. And you know, the kids were so tired. And the communication wasn't uh, wasn't the best. Yeah, you know, we saw the typical first smushed picture, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of of the child, and um, the cone had arrived. Yeah, <laughs> right, and, right. I, I've arrived, and oh well, tell us about it. You know, just twi- Twitter silence. You know, you know mm-hmm. nothing. You know, no text messages, and then you know, a few more scattered in, and basically about one in the morning, they said, "We're tired. We'll talk to you." We'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, is everybody okay? You know, you know, you know, just nothing. So, of course, you know, between, uh, to use the Yiddish word, you know, Daniel, you know, the Machitanum mm-hmm. and uh, you know, that, that's in-laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's in-laws. Yeah, you know, and us, you know, talking back and forth, we're convinced that, you know, that there's something to matter and the kids are trying to figure it out and, you know, they're not ready to tell us yet. And, uh, you know, of course... You know, none of that was correct. Everything's fine, and uh, and mom, mom and uh, son and and son-in-law are doing fine. You know, the dogs, the dogs don't think it's uh, such a great thing, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they'll figure it out. Uh, all, all is good. That is that is excellent news. Yeah. that is awesome. Yeah, Daniel, I saw, just to you know, bring it back to you, I saw, uh, you know, the kids are now, uh, you know, in, 
your kids are, are into shopping and excited for their new uh, <laughs> uh, for their new, new addition new sibling to come. Yeah, so sibling uh, little uh, little baby twit is <laughs> is uh, <laughs> is gonna be is gonna be happening in. Uh, we hope he's much smarter than me. I know he will be because his his mother is. Um, he's going to be born on November, right around November eighth. So we're now less than four weeks out, and and the kid, my my teenage kids were my my son immediately was was extremely excited, especially once he heard that it was a son and that he was going to have a brother. He was very excited about this. Well, that's cool. My daughter was a little bit more hesitant, and then, but recently, so you, what what Obi's talking about is that yesterday. Uh, we went, uh, we went shopping with her for, and she really wanted to come along for baby shopping, like for inspiring items such as a diaper genie and and <laughs> changing pads and bibs, and and bottle warmers. And so she, she, but she was all she was all about that. So I think everybody's sort of starting starting to rally and is getting excited. And uh, yeah, so we're we're just we're we're ready. We're in full baby mode over here. Already, you know, sometimes you know when we chat, it's you know seven o'clock you know on the east coast and four o'clock on on the west coast. Mm-hmm. Now you'll just be up, uh, you know, you know <laughs> feeding feeding the baby. You know while while you're chatting. Yes, uh, people people yeah. who are part of the pooligans of the pooligans chat room know that I frequently suffer from. From hard to treat insomnia, which I then and th- nothing about Twitter helps me with my insomnia. By the way, the only thing that it does is it makes it more entertaining, which <laughs> I'm not so sure is actually a good thing. But yes, then I'll be at like four o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to come up with witticisms, uh, which frequently ends in disaster. But it, it's better than just staring at the ceiling, I guess. I played a lot of Madden when my kids were uh, were were of that age. I, I, I got really good at holding them while holding a, a controller and a bottle. Wow, that's impressive. That's impressive. That is a very Brad. That is an impressive talent. Yeah, I don't think I could do it now, but uh, fifteen plus years ago, I was I was all over it. I also don't know whether at this age they would still quietly sit in your lap while you're playing on the while you're playing Madden. To be honest, so it I might be hard to replicate. Yeah, I definitely don't want to find out. Daniel, let me just ask you one question, mm-hmm. not to change the subject here, but he's going to change the subject. <laughs> That's what anyway. people do when they say that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, to ha- to have the three of us on after Liz Godwin. I mean, how many less listeners are we going to have? <laughs> <laughs> Than Liz. Uh, I mean, yeah, you had Julie Mason there last year. You know, Liz Godwin. Yeah, and, Liz. And, and now you got you know, the, the, you know, the three Stooges here. <laughs> Don't underestimate the audience draw of a furious Brad, a Bubbles, or an Obi. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Although Brad, I have to thank you for bringing back to my memory. I did tweet after that episode. Damn, I feel sorry for the poor saps that have to follow that episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be one of those tweets that doesn't age well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, that I think I think this will be totally, totally fine. I think we've had a perfectly pleasant conversation. We've met a whole new pooligan, which everybody always really enjoys. I don't think we've scared Brad that much. Well, I, I don't scare easily. I, uh, yeah, I've I've been through a lot of stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brad is very resilient, as you can tell. So nothing that well, we and said. And he lives in North Carolina. North Carolina state politics are like just off the chain insane. Thank you, Bubbles. That was an excellent, excellent segue to something that Brad actually wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. So I wanted to put in a plug. Uh, one of my, my very good friends, uh, Angela Flynn, 
is running for Congress in the uh, NC 6th District against Mark Walker. She's running as a Democrat. Uh, I do not live in her district, so I won't be able to vote for her. But I, I can tell you that she is uh, she's a she's the kind of person that would be a, a real asset in Washington, and not and not just because she would be replacing someone who, if I'm being honest, I don't feel is a very good asset in Washington. Um, j- just to, to maybe illustrate it a little bit, she is the music minister at the the parish where I play guitar and sing. So the fact that she can put up with me is should be all you need to know about how well she would be able to interact with people in Washington. Uh, but 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 in all seriousness, Angela, is a, she, she's a really great person. She's passionate. She is highly intelligent. And um, she really cares about people, and she cares about doing good and, and doing the right thing. Uh, you can find her on Twitter. Her Twitter handle is, is A. Flynn, the number four Congress. Uh, give her a follow. Uh, I, I think that that you folks will will like what you see, and, and even if you're not in her district, and you know, like me, and you, you can't vote for her, you can you know certainly donate to her campaign, uh, amplify her tweets. Um, now we might have to have Angela on the podcast. Actually, I, I, I'm sure that she, I'm sure that she would be absolutely thrilled to be on. And if if uh, if that's something that you would want to pursue, I, I'd be happy to to introduce you. You know, we've never had a. I mean, we've had people who are in local politics, and and well, Obi and funnily for one, yeah, Obi for one, unruly Julie, who's in North Carolina for two. But this would, yeah, that would be a first. Well, now I'm curious, Brad, what kind of music you like? Oh boy, I, I have very um, a pretty wide range of tastes. Um, you know, I like uh, they might be giants. I like Metallica, old Metallica. Um, I I really love John Prine. Uh, Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, I, he uh, he's the guy I think when I play that I, I think that I, I most want to emulate. I really like his style. Uh, you know, I, I play classical finger style, and uh, he's one of the reasons why. Um, so yeah, that's cool. So, so it's 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 definitely an interesting an interesting dynamic. You're you're at a Catholic church, and doing traditional kinds of hymns, not Gregorian chants, but also not the kind of stuff that you'd find at a a mega church. You know, but then you have me, who's a non-believer, standing in the corner with an electric guitar, playing you know arrangements to <laughs> to to accompany these these kind of traditional hymns. It's a it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing. And and I, I will say that that me being a non-believer is something that that Angela has told me she uses as a point of pride when she's talking to other music ministers. Like they'll say, hey, you know, we have uh, a gay couple in our in our uh, choir you know we have hmm. you know a man two two men that are married and they're in our choir and everybody accepts it and it's awesome angela always wins because she says well yeah i have an atheist in my choir like <laughs> like top that an atheist guitar player that's right electric guitar player no less uh, mm-hmm. but the, the reason that i'm that i'm there is my my wife is catholic and uh, she's been a part of the music ministry for for a long time and, and rather than just kind of sitting around I thought it would be cool to, uh, you know, pick up a guitar, sing, do that, do that kind of stuff, have an outlet for that part. Brad, there is something we have not talked about yet. Okay. Your cats. Oh, yeah. What would you like to know? Uh, well, we would, first, we need to establish the fact that you have these. There, there are two felines currently present in Brad's household, mm-hmm. and we will now learn their, their, um, what kind of cats, their sex, their names, and their general behavior. Okay. Uh, well, they are litter mates. They're about eight years old. I think they'll turn nine this year, if, if I remember correctly. Their names are Riley and Kylie. Uh, we did not name them. <laughs> those were the those were the names that they had when we adopted them. Riley and uh, Kylie. Riley and Kylie. Yeah. So uh, they're generally good cats. Their personalities are, are very distinct. They're both female. Uh, Kylie is 
a much more uh, sort of aggressively friendly cat. Like she always wants to be on your lap and she will express her dissatisfaction with you if you do anything to prevent that. Uh, Riley is <laughs> Riley's much more aloof and just sort of zen about everything. She We always joke and it's, it's, it is a joke that she just hates people. She hates everyone. And it's, it's more that she, uh, she has her own way of expressing affection and she is not as, uh, as overt about it. Um, uh, they're both tabbies. Kylie is a Calatabby, and Riley is an orange tabby. Mm-hmm. And there will be pictures to peruse, I hope, because that's what the... We have an entire chat that is only about pets. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. And, and it's quite lively, may I say, uh, except for Bubbles, who's not there. Indeed. Because he Bubbles hates does pets. does not currently have a pet. No, I don't hate them. I just don't currently have Bubbles them. hates pets. Bubbles does not hate pets. Make that a, make that a hashtag. We'll, we'll get it to trend. Yeah, hashtag Bubbles hates Actually, pets. Actually, kitties are my favorite. I love mm-hmm. cats. Yeah, yeah but, ca- uh, cats are what I've always what I've always had. I, I don't have anything against dogs, um, but I, I had cats growing up, and and that's kind of the that, that's what I've what I've had as an adult also. You know, I always firmly believe that that was really a choice. It's either cat or dog. That is until one of our other pooligans, Alex. Uh, added a cat to her previously dog-only household, and those two could not love each other anymore if they tried. They are are just, every day is cat laying on top of dog sleeping. So there, it's apparently you can even be both, a cat and a dog person. That's dogs and cats living together. Mm -hmm. Can you believe it? Old Testament stuff. (laughs) I think, (laughs) right. Yes, exactly. I, I think if that should be possible, somehow, even in this country, we will be okay. Probably not. But. So, Brad, tell us, uh, tell us your favorite cheese. Oh, hmm. uh, I guess you know. I, I feel like a like a terrible person here, but I don't know that I necessarily have a favorite cheese. I, I like, wah, wah. yeah, I know, right? I, I like your Allsburg. That's a that's that's a good one. Wah, wah. Um, okay. Yep. My wife is my wife is the cheese aficionado. She she is okay. A, then we but maybe we should. Is she currently there? Uh. <laughs> hang, hang, on, hang, hang on one second and thank you we need to improve she this to segment on yeah looking out for you bubbles <laughs> thank you i appreciate no that. problem we're, we're going to improve this cheese segment by actually <laughs> by, I've, I've hijacked. by actually finding somebody who does not give the answer Jarlsberg because that's not an answer <laughs> uh, did you hear uh, I thought of you the other day did you hear Julie talking about raclette the no, other I day missed, I, I saw people mentioning raclette in my, in my uh, mentions but I <laughs> didn't actually hear what she talked about but yeah. I know she owns a raclette oven and we, turned, we talked about raclette right yeah. yes that's what she was yeah, talking yeah. about to, Twitch Twitter feed blows up with Raclette. I know with Raclette conversation. That's what happened. Yet Brad is back. Yes, Brad. Yeah, I am. So, so she she is not feeling well. She has a nasty cold. But uh, oh no! But she she reminded me after after telling me how dare you not know what kind of cheese I like. <laughs> Good. She has. Sorry, Brad. Yeah, sorry, sorry, buddy. Solid okay. point. Yeah. Solid point. It is no. It's Brad. And, and and really, it was it was it was more a matter of me just just kind of not thinking it through. But th- so she is a big fan of Kerrygold cheese in general, like Ballyshannon um, uh, and any of those. And she, she's been to the Kerrygold, she didn't go to the Kerrygold factory, but she's been uh, near the Kerrygold factory when, when she was in, in Ireland. So, uh, and, and, and Kerrygold uh, butter is the only kind of butter that I, that I will use. It's, it's awesome. Okay. It's a different kind of butter. So I can see why. Yeah, if you're Kerry Goldhouse, I can see mm-hmm. that. Bubbles, how do you feel about this uh, this new? We, we've we've definitely upgraded from Yalsburg, but uh, Bubbles, how do you feel about the Kerry Gold? 
I like it. I'm not that much of a fan of of Irish cheeses. How um, dare you? He's I, Scottish. Oh well, I'm not even that fond of Scottish cheeses, <laughs> frankly, because Ooh. they all kind of just taste the same. Wow. Um, yeah, that, that's that's kind of where I am. Like, like I, I like cheese as a sort of general thing, but I don't eat cheese on its own. Whereas my wife will just you know cut pieces of cheese, and she always says it's the the tithing that she has to give to the cats because as soon as the cats hear the refrigerator open, they know. Like, I don't know if it's they, they know the particular way that she opens the door when she's getting cheese, but they are there like, like if they ever hide, that's all you have to do. Mm. I, I think your cats are my spirit animals. <laughs> Probably. If they, re- if they recognize, <laughs> if they actually react to a cheese opening off the fridge, that would be yes. Bubbles' cat. <laughs> It's, yes. it's, it's crazy. Yes. Like, if she goes over for something else, they, they won't necessarily react. Or if I go over to open the refrigerator for something. But but if I'm going in and I'm getting cheese to make a sandwich, <coughs> for example, they'll know. It's madness. Oh, well, I um, we had a... Uh, my youngest plays rugby, and um, it's rugby sevens season. So they play seven players on a regular-sized pitch field. So these games are only 15 minutes long, seven and a half minute halves of the one minute intermission. Cause all they do basically is run for seven and a half minutes, but it takes four hours to play three different games because of all the different teams. So the parents all basically tailgate and I brought a charcuterie board, um, oh, a couple of weeks God. ago and included, uh, Brilat Savarin. And, um, <laughs> one of the parents was just, I mean, visibly orgasmic <laughs> uh, with this cheese. So uh, so much so that I made a point and then I bought it and just took uh, took them a little piece of this cheese without going on any board. It's like, here, here's your crack you can take home. <laughs> and and they were, the, the supplications were made. I mean, they were, wow. they were almost in tears yesterday. So. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. well, Brilat Savarin is... is Pretty amazing stuff that, if you haven't that's had it. A real it's stuff. like it's like butter on on steroids. It's fantastic. Um, it, Brad, if you would like your wife to feel better soon, mm-hmm. you might want to invest in such and see if it does not take away her nasty cold. I will look into it. Brillat Savarin is fantastic. B R I L L A T S A V A R I N. Okay. Brillat Savarin. Fantastic. It's a triple. It's a triple creme. Um, oh so my. I mean, it's seventy or eighty percent milk mm-hmm. fat. So, so wow, that will heal almost anything, so, so, dude. It's it's really good. So, so, so I know that you mentioned that um, you're Scottish, uh, right? So oh, this weekend, there's a there's a place called Airmount in Hillsborough, which is a an old Scottish estate, and they had a Scottish Heritage Festival there this weekend. Uh, the the thing today was Outlander themed, but the the thing they had yesterday was just sort of a more general uh, Scottish heritage. Now, I don't. Did, did, did you go as Jamie? Excuse, excuse me, I need to know. Did, uh, no, did you I go as Jamie. No, I did not. I, I wow. I maybe twenty years ago I could have pulled that off, but uh, mm-hmm. but no. I, but I, I don't ha- actually have any Scottish heritage. Um, but it was fun. <laughs> And I, an imposter. I was. Yeah. I was totally a poser. But I, I, I wore my um, poser. I wore my my uh, my Welsh kilt. So uh, okay. So I, I, uh, I I did get to let my legs breathe a little bit. Very cool. 
Very cool. Yeah, North Carolina has lots of Highland games and yeah. Highland festivals and things. Huge Scotch Irish population. Yeah, and, and there was a there was a history talk by a guy who had written several books about that, it, describing the difference between the Highland Scots, the Lowland Scots, the Ulster Scots, and how they came to America, how they ended up in mm-hmm. in North Carolina, all that kind of thing. I mean, my my, my Scot or excuse me, my, my Welsh and Irish ancestors were more uh, around the turn of the twentieth century, so that all happened mm-hmm. well before my ancestors got here on that side. Uh, yeah, well, my Scottish relatives didn't get here until the 1920s, uh, okay. so I'm a relatively recent um, transplant uh, son of son of yeah, immigrant Scots. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, on my mom's side, the my the folks on my mom's side have have been in, in the U.S. quite a bit longer. Um, but my dad's mm. side, they're 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 more they're more recent. Those those wacky Celts took a while to get here. Obi, uh, Obi, do you have any backpipes in your uh, distant or recent past? Not, not that I know hmm. of. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Now, my, my brother-in-law, who is uh, who's of Irish descent, said that the the bagpipes were, how did he put it, uh, a joke by the Irish that the Scottish never got. Ooh, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, D- Daniel, we're like, I mean, we come from uh, you know, Austria and Germany. Yeah, and, and I had discussion with somebody. I mean, how many generations do you have to be in this country you know, before you, you, know, you, you don't come from there anymore? I mean, we're, we're probably here three or four, maybe five, five generations mm-hmm. now. and it's you know. So you're, you're removed. Have you gone back at all, Obi? Have you gone to, to uh, Austria and Germany? I mean... Actually, I mean, with all the traveling we've done, I mean, we've been through Austria, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- uh, through through Sw- through Switzerland, mm-hmm. um, you know. But for some reason, we have just avoided uh, uh, avoided Germany, and and for for no reason. Uh, I mean, you know, all all the way you know, through Euro- through Europe and England and, and Italy and into the you know, Middle East mm-hmm. and, and and the Far East and into Northern Africa, we've just never been to Germany. But when we were in Austria. Uh, we did see. I mean, there are a bunch of people with 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 our same last name. You know, that, that mm-hmm, I'm we sure. you know, saw exist, and we did not connect with any mm-hmm. of them. But uh, got- yeah, ancestry is not one of the things that you know, that, that that tickles me. Yeah, I, I am I am who I am, and uh, yeah, hmm. and that's it. Lack a complete lack of curiosity there. Yeah, lack yeah. of curiosity. Yeah, I'll be going back to Scotland um, next summer. My um, youngest will graduate from high school, and we've taken both the boys, or we will have taken both the boys, um, uh, you know, on trips. And, and my oldest chose to go to Barcelona, so his mom took him there. And and my youngest wants to go back to Scotland to meet the family again. So we will go to. Edinburgh and Skye, where my McDonald's are, that was my uh, grandmother, and we have just a giant parcel of relatives over there, and that's always a fantastic time to get together. And then the Mackays um, are from the north coast of Scotland, and unlike the McDonald's from Slate on Skye, who, who really, only my grandmother was the only one who ever left Scotland, uh, all of my grandfather's relatives left the north coast of Scotland. And I have not been there, and we're going to go check that out um, next summer. So um, I'm looking forward to that. It should be great. So, so not related to genealogy or ancestry at all, but we will actually be in Austria and Germany next May. Uh, we'll be in Vienna and Salzburg in Austria and in Oberammergau in Germany. It's, it's a, a choir tour. So we'll be doing some concerts over in, over in Vienna cool. and Salzburg. I don't know if – I'd have to look at the itinerary. I don't know if we're singing in 
Oberammergauer Fest just in Vienna and Salzburg, but it'll be a lot of fun. I've never been to... Sal- Salzburg is one of the most charming towns I have, I have ever been in oh, anywhere awesome. in the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. I've, I've, I've heard nothing but good things about Austria in general, and especially uh, Vienna, so it's nice. It's, it's good to hear that Salzburg is similarly awesome. Well, for a musician, Salzburg and Vienna are two great yeah. places to go. Yeah. And also for people who like to experience Mozart Kugeln as I do. And beer. <laughs> and beer. I, have you had a Mozart Kugel before, Brad? I have not. Do you not. know what that is? I do not. Okay, you're about to find out. They're an acquired taste, but they are delicious. <laughs> nothing acquired taste like haggis, right? No, not that kind of acquired taste. But <laughs> nothing is an acquired taste like haggis. Well, they, they, they did have haggis pockets at the uh, one of the food stands at the at the the Heritage Festival yesterday, and it was it was good. It was an interesting thing. It, it, it couldn't it didn't have all the parts that make a real haggis because you there's certain things I guess you can't have in the United States, like the lung and that sort of thing. But oh God. but it was like liver and beef and, you know, the barley and stuff. And instead of being in a sheep's stomach, it was in a, a, a kind of a puff pastry. It, it was it, it well, was good. Puff pastries make everything. Of course, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I knew that I wasn't going to be steered wrong as soon as I saw it was in a puff pastry. Yeah, you put cat shit in a puff pastry to be good. <laughs> well, I certainly have enough of that if I ever want to try. Uh, <laughs> to put cat, cat yeah, shit in the puff pastry. <laughs> Believe me, these, these, these two are... These, these two are heavy hitters, so I, I would definitely. <laughs> Damn, there's no. Yeah, Kylie and Riley, yes. we're so sorry. Yeah, the the, the, the yeah. automatic litter box is one of the best investments I made with with those two. There you go. Aw, cats. And on that note, I think <laughs> <laughs> now that we've now that we have thoroughly exposed two poor innocent cats that are just doing their business, <laughs> Joe would appreciate that pun. She would have ten more yeah. by now. Uh, yes, absolutely. She's quick. She's much quicker with the puns than I am. Very talented. Um, But I would like to thank today's victims uh, for their participation. (laughs) You can follow them. Let's see whether we can get all of this together. You can follow our friend Obi at S. Obernauer. You can follow our friend Bobbles, obviously, at Bobbles Vampire. Everybody already knows that. And you can also follow our new friend, Furious Brad, who it turns out is not really that furious. And in fact, in his former job at a uh, at a certain establishment, wasn't ch- was in charge of defuriating people. <laughs> that's, I, I, I like that. That's 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 a good way to put it. So maybe he will be henceforth known as Defurious Brad. <laughs> but yeah, thank you, uh, thank you guys so much for doing this, and we will be back again very soon. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel.